Well, good morning. So we've had a little mini-series that the last two weeks, and this is the final one in this little mini-series, where we've been picking up the, the topics that we've looked at in the, the, the missional course over the previous 12 weeks, that, that of creation. Remember, Beck spoke about creation a few weeks ago. And then last week, Steve spoke about sin. Do you remember anything Steve said last week? Long time ago, wasn't it? You know, thankfully, I took some notes because I knew I was going to be speaking this week. And, and he was talking about a, a phrase that he tried to use to pull together. is about sin being building your life in something which isn't God. Building your life in something that isn't God. And he talked about us being, being uh, humble and not self-righteous. And, and in this mini-series, the last two names in the series were redemption and restoration. We're, we're talking about, talking about a, a better story, about trying to, trying to express things to people who don't know their story in, a, in a, a, maybe a better way, a more culturally appropriate way, something that gets, gets past the facade and into the hearts and minds of people. So, but I've changed the, the words from redemption and restoration because I, I kind of think that if you're chatting to somebody who hasn't been involved in church, it, redemption might not, apart from the Shawshank redemption, maybe, but uh, may not be a word that they're used with quite a lot. So I, I kind of thought of saying this, Margaret, which is putting things back to how they were meant to be. Uh, you know, putting things back to how they were meant to be which I think is something we can all talk about. I, I don't think you feel like you need to have a degree in theology to talk about putting things back to how they were meant to be. Uh, whereas sometimes some words can be scary if you're, not, if you're not used to them. But to be honest, redemption and restoration, they're not that scary. We, we, we know about how to restore things or that kind of stuff. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the idea of how do we chat about a better story about putting things back how they were meant to be. I'm going to cover a few different things, but I wanted to start uh, a little bit back to front, but I wanted to start by confirming a few things about your ideas about heaven. Because, you know, we all know that, that, that heaven, you know, is a big part of the, of the redemption and restoration story of getting things sorted in the end. Heaven has a big role to play. So I just wanted to just chat about your understanding of, of heaven. You see, what's your thoughts on heaven? Is it like the, the Philadelphia advert, you know, where you're sat on clouds with, with uh, harps in the background eating a cheese sandwich, a Philadelphia? Is that what you picture heaven like? I used to, you'd be surprised to know this, but I used to, you know, ask lots of questions of my dad and, and really annoy him. And one question I would ask him was, Dad, where's heaven? Where, where is heaven? Is it just past Pluto? And I'll tell you why I asked that question, because we sang a song in Sunday school. I don't know if anybody else sang this song in Sunday school, but it went, somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. Uh, it went on, but anyway, that, that's, what, that's how the song went. Uh, and I was thinking, Dad, see with all the modern telescopes, when are we going to be able to see heaven? How, how far out there is it? And my dad's response was, Varying words of, oh, don't be stupid, or oh, just shut up. It's out there somewhere, which, which I never found satisfactory. I don't know about you, but 
I've done, I've done an awful lot of, of, of research on this. I read it, the, the theologian N.T. Wright, and he said this, very often people come to the New Testament with the presupposition that going to heaven when you die is the implicit point of it all. They acquire this viewpoint from somewhere, but it's not from the Bible. He said that read the Old Testament as much as you like and you'll find an earthly viewpoint of the future. Israel restored, the Messiah reigning, and animals living together in harmony. C.S. Lewis uh, said in Mere Christianity, if you aim at heaven, you get the earth thrown in as well. No, I, I believe that our future hope is heaven on earth. Living with God in heaven. On earth. Not earth as we know it, which that's slight of the, the problem, but a, a renewed earth, a restored earth, a redeemed earth, a transformed earth. Earth put back to how it should be. Part of the confusion lies a little bit in the words of Revelation 21, where it says there'll be a new earth and a new heaven. But all you guys that, that study Greek all the time will know that in Greek there's different words for new. That there's the word neos, which means like brand new. And there's the word kainos, which means renewed, put back to its original state, put back to how it was in the first place, made new. And guess what? That's the word that's used in Revelation 21. It will be a renewed earth and a renewed Heavens, restored, put back as God originally planned it. And all the specifics around these verses in Romans and Revelation 21, it's all about God coming to live with man. I heard a speaker talk about this once, and he said a really eloquent English line of poetry. He said, trees will never look so tree as a tree tree on the renewed earth. I remember the line that sticks with you. And, I thought, and he said, just picture, picture how beautiful earth will be when, when it's restored as it should be and is working with us, not against us. And if you look at Jesus' teaching on heaven in the New Testament, I'm just going to just very quickly point to a few verses. You know, in our reading in Matthew 25 that we read, you know, Jesus comes, that's the first verse, and then the goats go. The sheep stay and the goats go. Think of the parable of the wedding. We wait and the bride comes. Think of Luke chapter 21, verse 27. He, Jesus says he will come back to the earth. Why would God change his original plan? You know, it's the same yesterday, day, forever. His original plan hasn't changed. It stays the same. Matthew 24, verse 14, 42 it talks about one going and one being left behind. But the one that's been left behind is the us. He goes and shows the illustration of, of Noah, how the wicked were wiped away and the righteous stayed. So throughout Jesus' teaching, it's all about earth being renewed and heaven coming to earth. So what actually is heaven then? I summarise heaven as the invisible world of spiritual existence where God reigns. The, the invisible world of spiritual existence. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then it says, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. N.T. Wright in his book says, heaven is God's dimension of present reality. And Lawrence in his book on heaven says, it's the dimension where God exists. That's what heaven is. The, the physicality of heaven isn't its primary essence. It can be and it will be a physical place, but that's not its primary essence. It's where God is and where his will is carried out. So when God comes to earth and we live on earth, on this renewed, made perfect earth with God, that is heaven because it's where God is, which is very exciting. And just a very minor thing. Don't get confused between the heavenlies and heaven. The heavenlies are the, the sky and all that kind of stuff. That's the heavenlies. That's not heaven. So, so why am I pushing that? Because I think that is a great story to tell. It's a fantastic story to tell. You know, to be honest, when I was younger, the idea of singing hymns accompanied by a harp for eternity didn't really excite me. I mean, a, a day or, or a week. I mean, I could probably do it for a, for a week, but, but to have a purpose beyond that, you know, for me was vitally important. And what we're told is that we do have a purpose. God's original purpose was for us to look after the earth with him, walking in the garden in the evening. And that's still our purpose. Our purpose back in Genesis and still throughout the Bible is to look after God's earth, look after God's creation. And that's a fantastic story to tell. And in eternity, we will be looking after God's creation. God's creation will be working with us. It won't be against us. It will be fruitful. You get all these images about, you know, a hundred times more fruitful, all that kind of stuff. But it will be working with us. But we will be looking after it forever. So if we're going to be looking after it forever, let's get used to it now. You know, and I, I want to encourage you that we all should be equal warriors. You know, we should be at the vanguard of looking after this planet. And that's a great story to tell. You know, why do you look after the planet? Because it's God's planet. And I'm going to be doing it forever. And I'm commanded to do it now. Why do we litter pick? Because it's God's planet. Why do we recycle? Because it's God's planet. Why do we care for, for all nature? Because it's God's planet. And that right now is definitely scratching where culture itches. If you want to get into having discussions with people, talk about ecology, talk about the environment, because that's where people are at, wanting to save the environment. And well, we should be, the church should be right at the front of doing that, because we know it's God's environment, it's God's nature, it's God's planet. So it's a really, really easy in. It's a good story to tell. It's an easy story to tell. And all we do is when we tell that story, we just tell them why we're doing it. Why we care. And we care because it's God's. And nobody's going to not want to have that discussion in the 21st century with the planet not doing that great, with our history of looking after it not being that great. It's a really 
easy story to tell. And the backdrop is that, is because that's our eternal story. It was God's original plan, it's his current plan, and it's his future plan. Work wasn't a cause of the fall. Working by the sweat of your brow was a result of, of Steve, of sin. But work wasn't. Work wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Steve's story from last week, okay. Uh, work was always part of God's plan for us, to look after the planet. But it's not going to be arduous. It's going to be great. Imagine planting and all the crops just shoot up wonderfully with no weeds and no hassle. Imagine the, imagine the beauty involved in that with creation working with us. It's a good story to tell. It's not the full story of, of, of the gospel or of, of our future. Let me read you. I'm going to come back to our reading in a second. But let me, let me read you what Jesus said when he arrived and wanted to start telling people the gospel, the good story. In, in Luke chapter 4 and verse uh, 18, he arrives at the synagogue and does his first ever public reading at the synagogue. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach good news, to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus stands up there and, when, and he, he arrives that I have got great news for the poor. In fact, my good news, my story, is that I want to help the poor. That's, that was the start of Jesus' ministry. Redemption and restoration for the poor. And this is a good news story. Making things how they should be. Restoring and elevating the position of those who have missed out on life, those who are less fortunate. And we do that in Southport as, as, a, as a church and as churches. We have Compassion Act, we have, we, have CAP, we have food banks, all relevant ways that we are explaining the good news, explaining the gospel. Good news for the poor is a vitally important part of who we should be of who you should be. James, you know, the leader of the early church, in James chapter 1 and verse 27, he's, I've, I've told this before, but it's still important, is that he summarises Christianity by saying, live a righteous life and look after the orphans and the widows. You know, let me summarise Christianity for you. You know, be good and look after those less fortunate. That's it. Look after those less fortunate. Look after the, the people coming from Ukraine. Foster. Adopt. Look after those less fortunate. Whatever it is. Think of our reading again. In fact, I'm going to read you a little bit of our reading. And think how Jesus describes what Christianity is. Right? This, is the, this is how Jesus from our reading, describes Christianity. And let me ask you, how would you describe Christianity? So this is what Jesus says from our reading 
in Matthew chapter 25. And it's when I wish I brought my glasses with me. Oh, I can read it from somewhere else, can't I? Here we go. Um, let me see. Verse. Oh, I'm going to go back. There's no verses in that one. Okay. Uh, he, says, he says this in verse 34. Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. So he's saying to the sheep on the right, You get to live with me on earth forever. Come, you know, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You know, you get the idea about what I was saying before. You know, this is how it was meant to be from the start. You're now getting it. And what's your qualification? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothing and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And his followers said, but when did we do that? And he said, whenever he did it for anybody in need, he did it for me. No sinner's prayer. No, well, because you said, I love you, Jesus. No, because I said, Jesus is Lord. That's not what Jesus, I mean, I'm not saying these are all, you know, good, good things. But what I'm saying here is, when Jesus decides to pull it all together, he says, look after those less fortunate. That's what he says. That is right at the top of his agenda. Look after those less fortunate. Now, is that a story that we can tell today by our words and by our actions? Can we be people who are doing that and in doing that, interacting with our society? Can we be caring for those less fortunate? Would that be a cause for discussion? Would that cause you any problems with anybody if you did that? And express why you did it. I think that would open so many doors for discussion. Why do you care? Because God cares for us. That's why I care. And because Jesus tells me to. I, I want to show Jesus' love. I'm commanded to show Jesus' love. That's a powerful entry into discussion. It's a great story to tell. I think the Christian church in general has got highs and lows on that. We've, in many ways, you know, the, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, all three of the characters in the Good Samaritan are, are actually the Christian church in different guises. Sometimes we turn our backs and sometimes we get stuck in. You know, we need to get stuck in. We need to make sure that your personal story and our church story is about good news for the poor. Because that is a great story to tell. And it's right at the top of Jesus' agenda. More than pray daily, that gets you a Christian. More than come to church, that makes you a Christian. More than believe than me, which is crazy. You know, when Jesus talks about it, he talks so much about us getting involved and in helping those that are less fortunate. And there's the question for you. How much do you get involved in helping those who are less fortunate? Because that's what Jesus wants. And it's a great way to tell our story. You see, 
I was preaching at Emmanuel last week and I was preaching on the subject of shalom and I've nicked one of my slides from my PowerPoint and just stuck it into this one. I couldn't get the background to work on all that kind of stuff. So it's a very plain slide. But when God talks about shalom, he talks about peace. The Bible talks about it in over 400 different places. So there's loads of evidence to explain what peace is. Loads and loads of evidence. And, and when you pull it down into the it's three main parts, the three main parts are that God wants social justice for all material prosperity for all and personal integrity which is what James said in chapter 1 live a pure life and look after those less fortunate that's just well that's shalom, that's God peace, peace to you you can't say peace to you and leave somebody starving you can't say peace to you and leave somebody who's in prison unjustly you can't say peace to you and leave somebody with, with no mother or father because that's not peace to them Peace, God's peace, is about social justice, looking after those less fortunate. You know, I, I was thinking about this word redemption, and I got myself tied in knots about trying to think of, of what's the better story with regards to redemption. I struggle with uh, redemption in some ways. You know, why did Jesus have to die? Why are the wages of sin death? Why do we need the shedding of blood for our remission of sin? Why? Why? And I, I had lots of questions. And I can understand it at one level. But at another level, I thought, well, God sets the rules. Why, why does God set the rules to be like that? I spent hours researching it online and looking at concordances. And then I, I then asked some, some godly men and women for their thoughts. And I wrote loads of stuff down. And I was lying in bed on Thursday night and I thought, Nancy's still rubbish. And I got up and I, I deleted it all and had to delete my, change my PowerPoint as well. I thought, I thought I'd got that finished. And when I thought about it, I, my, my conclusion was, you know, I don't have to try and answer these why questions because I know that Jesus dying on the cross was the only way because Jesus says in the garden of Gethsemane. God, Dad, God, is there another way? No, there's not. And I thought, I've got all these why questions. Why did God not do that? Why did God do that? Why did God do that? And I know the answer is because there was no other way. Because if there was one, he would have done it. But Jesus had to die. Why did there have to be a blood sacrifice? Because there did. Why? Why does sin cause death? Because it does. If there was another way, I think God would have worked it out. I don't think he's, he's daft. I think he's pretty intelligent. And if there was another way, you know, I, I don't think he'd have killed his son. Or Jesus would have died. Killed his son is probably not a word to you. you know, I don't think Jesus would have died if there was another way. Jesus kind of knew that. And I thought, you know, I don't have to get past the most common verse in the Bible. For God so loved for God so loved. Why is there a cross? Why did Jesus die? Because God so loved. It's a love story. And when I thought about that, I thought, yeah, what is redemption? What is, what, what is this putting things back? It's just a love story. That's what I would go with. You know, I think 
in us somehow, we all love love stories. We're drawn, we're drawn to love stories. And we're drawn to love stories that work out in the end. Whatever they are, these big adventures, the, even the Star Wars kind of love stories, or the smaller ones, we, we love them when they work out in, in the end. You know, love stories you know, are, are often about you know, sacrifice. You know, and we, and we, we know that. We, I don't know if you hear that on, on Wednesday night when Frank, Frank told three love stories people sacrificing themselves because of love and it affects us you know when Frank told his stories on Wednesday night you know I was crying at the stories you know a couple I'd heard when I hadn't heard and I think our love story has the same effect Jesus out of love died for us it's just a love story and that's a powerful story it's a great story to tell. And I thought about it, I thought, yeah, I, I, would, I would try and steer clear of, of any kind of deep theology about, about this re redemption and the, or use all the kind of wrong words that we can, we can talk, talk about uh, and stick, stick to the, 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 the story that people can relate to, which is a, a, a love story. It's, it's a powerful story. It's a better story. There's no denying that Jesus died. You know, atheists and historians alike, you know, basically will all confirm the fact that Jesus died. But we know why he died. And he died because of love. That's why he died. And God knew there was no other way. So if I was talking to others about that, I would talk about love. Because love is a powerful emotion. In all my, my studies, I came across something which really doesn't fit into the sermon at all, but I found it really interesting. I thought it would be handy for you. A little bit of knowledge. I thought, oh, well, I will use that in the future. And it was a guy talking about all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Because we know before Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, that in the Old Testament, there was loads of sacrifices for, for sin. Um, and this, this person said this, I thought, oh, I've, never, I've never heard this before. And it really, really helped me put it in context. And he said this, he said, when you go into a, a store and, and buy something on credit card, he said, you get the item, but the thing still has to be paid for. And he said, the sacrifices in the Old Testament are like a credit card. He said, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, that they got forgiveness but it still had to be paid for. And therefore, he said, the death of Jesus is paying for it. The sacrifices are the credit card. And I thought, oh, I like that. I can use that to explain. I can use that simply. That fits. That helps me. Maybe I was, maybe, I mean, I know I am thick. But, you know, I thought, no, I, I like that. That works. I understand that imagery. I understand that, that explanation. So, so I thought, I'll just give you that as a side one. You can just... Stack, stack away. So, so the, the Old Testament sacrifices paid for it, but didn't ultimately pay for it. They paid for it on loan until Christ's death paid for it in full. So, living on a perfect earth with Jesus is a good story. It's a good story. Looking after the planet now and forever is a good thing to do. And if we're going to look after the planet forever, let's start looking after it now. That's a better story. And let's make sure we get involved in sharing God's peace 
God's good news for the poor. Social justice for all. I do think that is something that our society can relate to. Getting things back to how they should be. That's, that's a better story.